If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Open Era Podcast. My name is Devang Desai and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Simon Bushel. Holy hell, it's Grand Slam season yet again. Bush, the Australian Open, time flies. I feel a bit caught off guard. I feel good about having Grand Slam tennis back. I do want to pose you a question, though. Is the Australian Open the Rolex to... The French Open's Casio. Casio. I I have to say, Shakira, I back her entirely. And in her absolute incredible takedown of Davis Cup killer himself, Gerard Piquet, I I stand. We stand with Shakira. But as someone who currently wears a Casio day-to-day, Simon, I felt personally attacked by that incredible barb. I thought Casio was like moderately fashionable. I think think it ironically became so and like they're doing like cool different models like mine is gold not bragging or anything but it's gold so I'm I'm just saying I'm just saying Shakira chill chill is what I'm saying in regard to the watches but everything else was fantastic and I think the Australian Open though is more of a Timex to me Bush it's a Timex sounds good to me I just (laughs) I was gonna make a joke about me wearing a jacket and a lacy bra whilst, you know, just to extend the joke further on this one, but we're not going to do that. Um, no, let, let's move on swiftly from that. Uh, it was an interesting week, was it not? We had tons of news to get through, not least the fact that we're on the precipice of the first Grand Slam of the season. By the time you listen to this, it's in your ears. We will be fully underway, down under. But perhaps it's best to start with maybe the biggest news of the week, which is that my prediction of Naomi Osaka winning the US Open is uh, not going to happen, Dev. It's it's very much not going to happen. Definitely not. Uh, Osaka announcing she is pregnant and will be taking the foreseeable future off of tennis, understandably so. Um, a lot of a lot of the ink that was spilled 
following her withdrawal from Australian Open looked incredibly stupid when this announcement was made, but it was worth highlighting the baseless speculation, the wild speculation that we chose to title this episode after. Ran rampant, Simon, as it usually does when it comes to Naomi Osaka, but the post was great. I mean, as much as I want to believe that she did write that herself, and I think she did, it just... it's one of those things where how can you feel poorly about this as someone realizing something um, truly massive in their lives? And just as an outsider, you're like, good for her, good for her family. Hope everyone is well. And uh, yeah, that's it. Like, I, I have nothing else to really to add. Well, it's interesting, right? Like this, I think, leads the episode and probably leads a lot of tennis broadcasters this week. But honestly, it's kind of not a big story in a lot of ways because there's a couple of things to get into. But the number one thing is like, cool, go live your life. Yeah. Like that's, that's exactly. There's nothing exactly. else to say really. I think it, the one thing that did strike me when I saw this, and I was a little, a little surprised. But I mean, then you very quickly get over it and move on with your life. But I think one of the things that, that caught me as well was just we know very, very little about what's going on inside of the heads of these players, and even a product or a show like Breakpoint, it's also curated and. and choreographed that you don't really get a sense of of what's going on with those players either and I think that's kind of a fascinating position that we find ourselves in with this sport which is so individual but even then we don't really know who these people are and I think that's best personified by the fact that no one really saw this coming and it's kind of funny that way yeah it would not have been on my bingo card to be honest as well but I, I did think the commentary, and I, I think it's also fascinating, some of the commentary revolving around Emma Rajukanu these days also falls into the wild speculation camp about like how much she cares or how much she's training and, and whether her passion for tennis remains. I think we saw this play out with Naomi as well. And at this point with this story, the those haters, which I don't think there's a different word for them, really didn't have anything to come back with here. Where it's like, okay, okay, yeah, this is, this is that. And we'll see... Um, what 2024 brings. I think this was mentioned on our Discord as well, but who knows? Maybe this is something that maybe boosts Naomi going forward where she could see herself playing on the tour again down the road and making a comeback like we've seen other players do after having a child on the women's tour. So we'll see. It is definitely quite a jarring landscape shift from just a few years ago, Simon, when we had Ash Barty and Naomi Osaka on the tour, though. It's it's pretty wild to see how things change. And you mentioned Breakpoint, which we'll get into a bit later, but they start in the 2022 season at the Australian Open and Ash Barty is there and Naomi Osaka is there and the tour looked a hell of a lot different. Hell, Serena Williams was still in the conversation at that time as well. It's true, yeah. I mean, we've got a bunch of people pregnant as well, haven't we, on the women's side. We didn't talk about the fact that, I mean, at the back end of the last week, we touched upon it in, in parting shots, but it should also be noted that Angie Kerber is also pregnant as well. Right. So former number one, another player to add to that list. Uh, in general, not even in general, just across the board, I don't need to add any caveats to it. Very cool. Go and live your life. Let's move on from it. Shouts to them. Shouts to Naomi. Shouts to Corday. Um, all the best, et cetera, et cetera. Moving on to the PTPA and another prediction you made this year, Simon, in our preview show, you said the PTPA would not exist by the end of 2023. And yet, in a a shot fired directly at Mr. Bushel, mm-hmm. the PTPA has announced their first player executive committee featuring co-founders Novak Djokovic and Vasek Pospisil, as well as current world number two on Shibur. 
former world number two, Paola Badosa, Shubi Hirkach, John Isner, Sasai Zheng, Bethany Maddox-Sands, a who's who of pretty popular people, Simon. I'm curious what you thought. I mean, I used that loosely. John Isner was included there as well, but some interesting names here. What are your What are your first reaction to this? This is a absolutely bizarre list of people. If you were to, <laughs> yeah. if you were to put every name of the top 200 into a bag and shake it up, I would have believed that this is what would have been spat out on the other side of it. I just somehow cannot quite wrap my head around the idea that Ons Jabur and John Isner are sitting across the table from each other. And that I mean, maybe it's like... Uh, uh. And, <laughs> indeed so. So I guess like the other caveat to this whole thing is like organized labor. You have to yeah. work with people that you don't like sometimes. And you are all workers in this situation. So it stands to good reason that despite very obvious, I'm sure, political differences which exist at this table... You are fighting for the same cause, which is better rights as workers. So that makes complete sense. On the other side of it, I certainly don't want to get a beer with John Isner. But if it means I have to work with him in order for us to get a pay rise and to not be treated like shit, then I'd absolutely do it, which I think is where we find ourselves. And to that point, you think, you know what I learned, I think, and I watched all of Breakpoint. So I have have thoughts, Bush, about uh, what I had seen. But I think one of my biggest takeaways is that they live such similar lives that it would make sense to band together, even if you wouldn't assume they have the same political views, maybe, or social views. They do the same things so often at the same places that they have more commonalities than differences, no matter who they are. And I think that, to me, is something that I think I don't like that much because it's like, hmm. My bestie or my fave is not necessarily someone I thought would be cavorting with your likes of, I don't know, the player you like the least, your Alexander Zverev, et cetera. But yeah, I think that is a true tenet of this tennis life. It's true. And I think this comes just back off the segment of me saying that we don't really know the inner lives and the personalities of these people. And I have automatically just assigned what I think some of their political values <laughs> yeah. are, which yeah. I'm aware that I'm the hero. Way to go, that. Bush. Way to go. Uh, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to touch quickly on uh, <laughs> the five core tenants they put out as a part of this, the PTPA. One, take collective action and advocate on behalf of tennis players globally to obtain players fair share of the business of tennis in terms of participation, three, optimize and rigorously protect tennis players' rights. Four, safeguard tennis players' welfare and protect players from abuse. And five, advocate for and contribute to the best vision and structure of tennis globally. Very wide-reaching, overarching tennis push. And as pro-union people, I think we do want to see these players protected. And it is, it's good to see these things put on paper. But I, I do remain curious about how effective they can be when some of these ten poles are a little ambiguous in terms of action or action plans. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating case study to see if this is successful over the course of the next year. I think I was on record. I don't think I necessarily believe it. I made it as a bold prediction that I think that it would fold by the end of the year. I just, the founding members of this, I think hold political views and a view of the world which are so opposite which are the complete flip side of of what would hold union building exactly yeah. traditional yeah. labor values that it's it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see whether or not this comes through yeah i have no idea and we watch with bated breath
Like, I'm curious to see if they can figure this out. It's not like the people that they are negotiating against are benevolent saints, um, aka the Grand Slams or oh the my God. directors. And they're not negotiating against the smartest people in the world, either, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, something else that dropped this week, Iga Sviantek in the Players' Tribune. Iga Sviantek not featured in Breakpoint, at least not the first part um, at all, really. She was mentioned a couple times, but... Thought it was fascinating to read her piece in the Players' Tribune, which say what she will about the Players' Tribune, but I think it's been getting better. I think these pieces have been getting better. They have been less corporate marketing dross and a lot more introspection and a bit closer to believing that someone maybe dictated this to someone rather than have have it uh, or had it ghostwritten. But Bush, did you read this article? I did read this article. I thought it was an interesting insight into... A little more about Igor Sviantek that hasn't been uh, seen by the general public across the board. And I kind of wondered, maybe it's a question that I could I can point back to you on this one and maybe to the audience in general. Who was this for? Like, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. I mean, I understand to a certain extent that she wanted to put a story out, but just like, what was the decision making behind this? Like, why why this outlet and why this kind of thing at this point in the year? It just... It was cool and I enjoyed reading it. It's just I was left a little baffled by the whole thing. Uh, great question. I think, I mean, we've talked for like four episodes about this. You know who this is for, Simon. This is for everyone who doesn't know who she is. Right. Right? This is for everyone who possibly does read the Players' Tribune but doesn't know a lick about tennis. Or maybe doesn't know a lick about tennis beyond the Serena, Roger, Rafa, Novak tier. Right? So I think that might be for them. But who's reading the Players' Tribune? Yeah, another question. Hey, I don't, I don't have to pay. I don't have the metrics on this at all, so I can't speak to how many people did read this. But she literally points out in the story about how, like, if she was American, it would be different. She wouldn't believe in herself for a long time. Like, I think this is directed at people who have no idea who she is. Even though I mentioned that it does seem less uh, calculated in, like, this PR release. The calculation, I think, has been made that they have to get her name out there far more than they ever have before. And there has to be a concerted effort about this. This is a small step to writing what is an incorrect situation is, and that is that not enough people know who Ishwantek is. A lot more people should. Who is they in this scenario? That's the thing that I'm trying to figure out. Is they is they uh, the WTA or is they the management of Iga Sviantec or is it Iga herself because she doesn't come across as a person who particularly is striving for this kind of fame it's the WTA it's the WTA it's their broadcast partners and it's all these damn companies that you see splashed all over every tournament that's who it is son it's, it's on them it seems reasonable to me doesn't I'm it? not going to push back against that <laughs> a bunch of corporate greed trying to market one of the one of the, the world number one shocking that they would try and do that come on guys come on I've seen 4,000 Rolex ads that still have Roger in them let's let's do a bit better here let's do uh do the bare minimum okay I'm done so what's the narrative here just to sort of close out this thought on this article because I think it's very good and I would suggest that everyone reads it is is the narrative here basically that she's an underdog and that she didn't believe in herself and then overcame all of the doubt to become world number one. Because there was a bunch of quotes floating around this week. So like Caroline Wozniacki, I believe Wozniacki was talking right about this and saying that she was never going to be, didn't mm-hmm. think she was going to be world number one and that it was it came as a bit of a surprise. That's kind of true, but I think, I mean, I guess it is true across the board, right? Like I think you could say 
that from the moment that she won a Grand Slam, she was clearly not an underdog. But I don't think anyone had her as favorite going into that French Open at all. And it did kind of strike us out of nowhere. So I guess it kind of is true. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I, my my takeaway is that she is very similar to a lot of people like you or you myself, Bush, in like what goes through her head. And that's interesting to me because she's so clearly the, the best at something that we are not. So I, I think it's interesting that she does still deal with the same things that you or I deal with in, in different ways and in different things that we go through on a day-to-day basis. So I think that for me was probably the biggest takeaway. And I think this is just someone who's very self-aware for her age. And it, it comes across in an endearing way. And in a way where it's like, yeah, you know what? I I want to support this person because I think all of these self-doubts or these these ways we, we put ourselves down or don't allow ourselves to drink big, I think we can empathize with that as people who are watching tennis for fun. So I think that was part of it as well. And I, I still do think they just got to put her name in way more places like the Players' Tribute, which I did agree <laughs> was a bit odd when I first saw it. But great article. Check it out. All right. Quickly, Bush, to wrap up the opening segment, we've got a few more things. We head to China next. We do. And China's presence on the male side, on the ATP side, going into the Australian Open. And 17-year-old Shang uh, Jungcheng qualified for the main draw and joins Wu Yingbing and uh, Zhang uh, Zhixian in the main draw. They both, the the latter two qualified for the US Open and were the first men to compete in uh, the main draw at the US Open. This is interesting, of course, because we went so long by not having Mm -hmm. Chinese men qualify for the main draws and not being in the main section of of an ATP tour. This obviously stands in stark contrast to Li Na on the WTA side and a plethora of, of good Chinese women who have made it to the top of the game. And this was a big vacant gap of not seeing that next generation of Chinese men come through. Apparently, he's quite the player. I didn't see any of the qualifying, and I'm going to be curious to see how he gets on uh, in the Australian Open. It'll be appointment viewing, Mm -hmm. I think, to see a 17-year-old who carries the weight of a nation like this, certainly on the ATP side. Just fascinating to watch this space as well, because it's a... It is an interesting story of why no Chinese men have succeeded the way the women have. But watch this space because I think it's coming. Winnable, I would say, his first round match. Oscar Ott, hard-serving German. We've seen him at Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, in terms of other <laughs> interesting first rounders, you mentioned uh, Zhang Zhizhen, owner of some of the best hair on tennis as well. He's playing mm-hmm. Blake Shelton, mm-hmm. uh, the kid from Florida in the first round. I think that will be an excellent match. Probably will go... Blake Shelton. Ben Shelton. Is Sorry, name? Ben Shelton. Ben Blake ben Shelton is a country star. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry, Ben. Moving on. Novak Djokovic. Yeah, I mean, this is a little bit of clickbait, but it's worth just dropping in here just to see the kind of reaction that Novak Djokovic gets at uh, Melbourne Park across what I think is going to be two weeks that he spends there. Some stuff made the circulation this week in the press around Craig Tiley basically saying that if there were fans disruptive and they were negative uh, towards Novak Djokovic, then they would be removed from the crowd. I think this kind of got made a little bit too much. You saw some cycles of saying like, oh, this is just pro-Novak Djokovic stuff in the sense that trying to support him as a player and Tiley basically being a, a massive corporate shill um, and also a massive Novak shill as well. I feel like this in general is probably not 
that true. I think most fans would get booted from this tournament regardless if they were being abusive. But watch, again, like everything else in this opening segment, watch this space to see what happens. <laughs> and I think if you read like Ty Lee's call, he was kind of saying like, this is for everyone. Like if you yell out or say stuff for anyone mm-hmm. during their match, you will get booted. So I think I agree with you. I, I do find... <laughs> Craig Tiley must be Teflon in Australia, Simon. Like, how is he still having that job after what's happened? It's interesting to me that he emerged from the numerous gaffes and disasters that resulted in, in Novak Gate relatively unscathed and back again. But he's clearly one of the most powerful people in tennis, so it shouldn't be that surprising. Um, I, I think Novak's going to get a lot of support, Simon. That's my my guess is that he, is, he remains a, a crowd favorite. I think he's always enjoyed a lot of um, support in Australia before this. And I think I'll have a lot of it during this tournament, but I do, I do think the crowd or th- something happening in that regard is one of the few things that will potentially cause a minor moment of turbulence for Novak, because other than that, this will, this will be a, a general coronation for him for another Australian open. <laughs> like what does he need to do? What does he need to do Jesus Simon to get, Christ. to get out of here? <laughs> And you know what? What's going to happen as well is the dude is going to fucking fail upwards again. Like he's going to be, I don't know if there's anything higher esteem. Maybe he'll be prime minister of, of Australia. Australia. Yeah. 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 yeah, I could see it. Who's the Australian prime minister at the moment? Whoever he's is on it? the left. He's a, a left-leaning dude, though. Uh, he's Labour, isn't he? Yeah. Whatever Labour means these days. Anthony Albanese. Albanese, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right, okay. Scott Morrison was cool. the guy before, and he was terrible. Scott Morrison, yes, that was the, <laughs> yeah, Scott Morrison was the clown from last year that we had to deal with. Never forget the clown show that that was, but yeah, I, I do. I will be fascinating to see all of the other things that could potentially cause a bump for Novak the next couple of weeks, because other than that, this doesn't seem like it's going to be that tough a sledding for him. Shall we close there, Bush? Do you have anything else Novak-related to dish? I don't. I don't. And amazingly enough, he does not feature in our next segments of like prominent questions that we're asking going into the Australian Open. Well, what is what is the question? Is How many sets will he drop? I think that's probably a fair one. Not many. <laughs> not many is my answer. <laughs> yeah. Or like what fake injury will he come up with during the course of the two weeks and then blame everyone else around him for? Well, we should mention that because there has been an injury issue that has been has been whispered about. He's Yes, he still played that exhibition with Nikirios <laughs> that sold out in seconds. It sold out so quickly that they had an article on it on the BBC. I'm like, are we really doing this? Are we really doing this? Anyways, let's get to part two. These are bold questions that we're going to ask going into the Australian Open. See you after the break. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience. 
not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome back to the Open Era podcast. Devang, it is Australian Open. The Australian Open, it's time for week number one at the first Grand Slam of the year in 2023. These are some questions that we are going to ask going into the Australian Open. And I will pose this question as an opener to you. Will Rafael Nadal make it to the second week of this Grand Slam? Ooh, okay. <laughs> Fair question. This is a Rafael Nadal... Another year older, another year. Last year, I was speaking about chock full of injuries and massive successes, which seems like a normal Rafa year where he puts himself through hell, puts his body through hell, but comes out of it with some massive titles and yet an an another few notches on his belt is the greatest of all time. That being said, it's not so much the injury stuff that's been off recently. He seems relatively healthy by as or as healthy as he can be at this point, Simon. But the players he's been losing to have been eye-catching, to say the least. Players that you normally don't see Rafa losing to, but they weren't at a slam. These are at the Tour Finals or the United Cup. They weren't at a slam. I know Tiafo beat Rafa in New York, but... That was a different Rafa. I don't think he was healthy at all. So even though I think Jack Draper is definitely a challenge and also a lefty, which will cause Rafa problems, I think a lot of people are picking against Rafa a little too excitedly here. I think he does make it to the second week. I don't think he wins the title, but I think he will escape what is a very tough draw. It's a brutal draw for him. I, I'm very... Very curious to see if he gets through that first rounder. Or just to see what happens in that first rounder. Jack Draper's a very, very good player. And clearly like someone that we've seen have a pretty good ascent through the 2022 season. This is this is one of the hardest first rounders I think Rafa Nadal has played in a considerable amount of time. Like this is no cakewalk at all. And I'm very, very... I mean, we've seen it before, right? It's been a very, very long time since he's lost in round one at a Grand Slam. In fact, 
Top of your head, when was the last time he lost round one at a Grand Slam? Like 2004? Oh. Is that right? Has he ever lost round one? I know he's lost at, he's lost at Wimbledon early. Um, when was Steve Darcis? Was that in the... Oh, man. That was a long time ago. Um, yeah, like I, I, I think... Draper is an absolutely terrible matchup. And you could hear Rafa being like, well, this is the draw. Like, oh God, how dare this happen? The answer to our question, by the way, Simon, I think is Australia, 2016. He lost in round one in 2016. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Uh, You can be forgiven, though, for not remembering that happening at all, even though it was Fernando Verdasco in five sets who beat him. So some payback for Verdasco from their That's epic. right. Yeah. yeah. I remember this now. Yeah. It's, it's all coming back to me now. Um, Steve Darcis was in the second, no, yeah, second round. There was also a first round loss at Wimbledon. Jesus, that's some amazing factual stuff of who he lost to in round one. <laughs> Sorry, it was, it was Darcis. It was Darcis. I was right. Okay, so it was Darcis in 2013 at Wimbledon. The only other times Raf has lost in the first round at a slam that he's been fit for or healthy enough to begin playing. That's some amazing trivial pursuit to see if you can do like first round losses at Grand Slams for Nadal, Federer, <laughs> Murray and Djokovic. Oh my God, that is a, that is straining your brain to see if you can do those ones. I will say I'll be mad if this is the one time I'm like, nah, nah, guys, slow your roll. We got to back the legends here. I, I will be mad if this is one of the few times that he does get smoked by Draper in the first round. Because I, 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 like you said, Bush, wouldn't be the most shocking thing we could see. But I still believe over five sets, there are, are too many get-out-of-jail-free cards for Rafa to, to employ here to see him through. But it'll be very tricky. Uh, Devang, moving on. Who will be the last Australian standing in this tournament, man or woman? Woo-hoo. Well, we just lost Ayla Tomjanovic, mm-hmm. who announced she is pulled out of the tournament. So there's one Australian down. Which sucks because she, she was going to be my pick. So that sucks in so many <laughs> yeah. different ways. And I think on the women's side, probably the only relatively safe-ish pick to, that you could comfortably say will make a run. I don't think it's a particularly deep time on the women's side for Australian tennis on the men's side. Whew. I think Kyrgios could play Djokovic um, relatively early, right in the fourth round Bush. So I feel like his tournament will end there. No, sorry. The quarterfinals. Give me the demon. Give me Alex demon hour to, uh, to make good on, on beating Rafa a few weeks ago and, uh, and fully becoming Leighton Hewitt 2.0, the role he was born to play. Give me some Ricky. Give me yes. some Ricky. Yes. I'm going for it. Let's pick that one and move on because we don't really care about Australian tennis. We love you, Australia, but you're maybe not the most interesting nation in the world when it comes to the top end of the sport. Certainly after Ashbari retired. Nothing but love here, by the way. Shouts to the Tar Heels and Rinky Hichikata, though. Absolutely. Shouts to them. Yeah. I asked you this question last week, Dev. I will ask it again here in this segment. Does preseason four matter? I'm very, very interested to see what happens with this one because we've had some strange winners over the first three weeks of the season, not least rolling back the years. First title since 2016, Richard Gasquet. Are we getting Gasquet God. going on a oh, run God. here? Do you know what I would give for a Richard Gasquet Grand Slam run? <laughs> Do you know what I would sell, Bush? My soul. My soul for one, first of all, immediately. Who needs that when you got Dickie Gas? 
hit backhead winners clean down the line. <laughs> From 19 feet behind the baseline. <laughs> Only to play rough at some point and get destroyed. Um, this, is, this is tough because I think I was pretty adamant that it does for some people. Like, I don't think it's necessary for your your Novaks, et cetera, to like get or need a ton of time on the court at this point in the season. And hell, Novak won a tournament already. So you can even scrap that. But I think for certain people, this this is good to be feeling yourself at this moment. Um, there's certain people you expect to do well at this moment as well. I think RBA mm-hmm. is a great example of someone who is excelling normally at this time of year. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. What does that mean at the open? It means he'll be a really hard out for maybe the eventual winner or probably eventual finals or semifinals, because that's usually the role he plays at this stage because he's just phenomenally consistent and a great player. I could see him giving Casper Ruud problems in the fourth round, for example, or a Berrettini before that. So I want to say it will play a role, but it, it doesn't automatically guarantee good things. I do think the fear of playing too much before slams is another thing that I'm worried about. But like I said, I think for Richard Gasquet, this is as good as you're going to get. Because you're probably looking at a, a disaster, or not a disaster, but getting r- ran off the court relatively early on in this tournament. So scoop up a title win because you deserve it and you played great, but it doesn't mean much for the Grand Slam draw. I, I don't see him having a, a great long time in Melbourne. And Belinda Bencic, Dev. Did she win as well? She did win. She, she did. Adelaide too. That's right. Adelaide too. Lucille too, to use a my favorite development. Joke. My favorite tournament. Well, look, look who won. I'll name off who's won on the women's side tournament so far: uh, Sabalenka, Goff, Benchich, Lauren Davis. Sabalenka, Goff, Benchich, all of those people I could see being in the conversation by week two for sure. Did I need them to win these tournaments beforehand for that to be true? No, but does it help their case? Yes. It's uh, shocking, once again, that you're picking a deep run for Belinda Benjic here. I have to for marketing reasons and for brand allegiances, but <laughs> I genuinely do like Benjic's draw. Uh, she's got Zavalenka, though, in her section. So that could be a blockbuster fourth round match. Alrighty. So we'll see when how, how form matters going into these tournaments. There's one to keep an eye on. I'm going to actually probably try and track this through the course of the season to see whether form actually does matter going into... Uh, these various different Grand Slams through the season. Another question for you, Dev. Will we see a first-time winner on the ATP and the WTA side this tournament? Well, God knows I would love to pick someone else to win on the men's side. I would. Do I think that's going to happen? No. And if that does happen, who will benefit from it? I think it'll be someone who's won a slam before. And that probably means maybe a Danny Medvedev. <laughs> so I, I'll say no, who is not in this tournament, by the way. I think he withdrew as well. So th- there's no, yeah, there's not many slam winners left in the draw, right? I think you've got Medvedev, Nadal, Novak on the men's side, right? Murray. Murray, shit, Murray, right. Who's playing Berrettini, which I mean... Godspeed, Dan. Andy Murray's struggle hour will continue unabated for this first round matchup where you will watch this match and hate yourself doing it, but you'll be there. Stan's in the tournament, right? Stan, wow. Stan is, he's playing Molkan and he might play Felix in the second round. So Stan is there too. 
I that believe has, that is it then. That has that to be all it. of them, right? Surely. <laughs> that is it. <laughs> Holy cow. Okay, so on the, the ATP side, no. Simon, I think you would agree with me, right? You're not you're not making a, a shocking pick here. I'm not, no. I, I think the answer is no. I think if, if the most likely person to break that is probably Fritz at this tournament. Just, I think. Yeah, yeah. Surface really does suit him. I think he's he's come on leaps and bounds. Obviously, I've been fairly adamant of thinking that he didn't have that in his game and the highest that he was going to reach was a sort of budget version of Milos Raonic. But I, I've seen enough to think that he's actually ready to get to the latter stages of a Grand Slam. Wow. Greg, can we get Vitamin C's graduation to start playing um, just so I can look back at all the times Bush slandered Fritz? But mm-hmm. I think it's a solid pick. I will say for the WTA though, yes. I, I do think we will get a first-time winner. I saw this... Uh, on tennis.com, 117 women in the draw haven't won a slam. So there's 128 players total. 117 of them haven't won a slam. So are you picking the field? Are you picking those nine others or however many others? My math is terrible, but including Iga Sriantek, of course, Simon, who's got a pretty tricky draw, all things considered, including her first round match, who... I think Julie Niemeyer is someone you do not want to play in the first round of a major. So I'm going to pick a first-time winner and because I'm thinking Sabalenka or Goff is who I'm, I'm narrowing this down to. I'm curious who you think. I was going to pick them both as well. I think that you're on, oh, on the same line there. <laughs> I, I just got something. I got that, that feeling, right? That in the waters that this might be a Sabalenka tournament. I think it might actually happen. It's going to be... All the lines are going to be drawn an extra 12 feet beyond the baseline. I, I, I want to see it too. Like I, I'm, I'm earnestly cheering for Arena Sabalenka in 2023. I want to see it come good for her. We will wait and see with bated breath. So I think we're basically saying the answer to the question is no, but we might see a first time winner on the women's side, which I yeah. think seems reasonable. Uh, let's transition to... Perhaps one of the most difficult questions to answer on this one, if the answer is not Rafael Nadal, who on earth is the second favorite on the ATP? I think it might have to be Steph, which sounds shocking to say. Steph. Uh, Yeah, I feel disgusting saying it. I don't feel good, (laughs) Simon, at all. I feel disturbed. Yeah, I feel disturbed, unwell. And I don't know if I I drank the United Cup Kool-Aid too much, but I, I really like what I saw there. And I also do think that there is a, a, a load of uncertainty behind Novak for a variety of reasons, but Steph being maybe the most frustrating player to watch on the men's side in terms of the top 10. It's a bizarre pick, but I, I do think there is some history here. He's made the semifinals here three times. What did he learn from last year's unmitigated disaster following the Australian Open? We shall see. I hope he learned a lot. I know it's a lot to bank on, but I expect to bounce back from from what was a poor 2022. It wasn't a poor 2022. He had the most match wins. Remember, we oh, went over this. Jesus Christ, right. Because <laughs> he played he played everywhere known to God. He did win the Monte Carlo Masters. He did win the Monte Carlo Masters. Oh, who has but he'd, won, he'd won it before already, right? So, I mean, good for you. But he'd won it before already, so it kind of loses its luster. It's not a sexy pick at all. There are no real... Like, I want to pick Felix, Bush. I want to. I would love to pick Felix. But I don't feel super confident picking him to make a run here. I think this is why it's a difficult question. 
because you could ask 20 different people and get 20 different answers here. For example, Dominic Thiem, Andre Rublev is the first round match. Whoever wins that match to me, I could see having a, a, a long time at this tournament, having a, a prolonged run. That is very bold, considering Dominic Team has, has he won two matches in a row? <laughs> recently, very recently he has. Very recently he has. That's why this is recency bias run amok, but there's no safe bets. You know when uh, that Simpsons joke where, where, where Bart is talking about how his, his wrist sounds like a cement mixer? Um, <laughs> yeah. It's what I kind of imagine, unfortunately, Dominic Team must feel like at the moment. I hope Dominic Team is not drinking milk, is all I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. But there's, I don't know, are you in the whole Garoon market, Simon? Is that where you want to be? Like, who's, who are you looking at? Am I buying some Holger Rune stock here? Yeah. <laughs> no, certainly not. He's got a real chance, though, I think, of considering he's, look, let's be honest, awful through the first two weeks of the year. I, 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 I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see him actually make a really deep run at this tournament. He's in that Rublev team section as well. He is. With yeah. Kyrgios. With mm-hmm. Kyrgios. Kyrgios Rune third round could be the brattiest match in the history of mankind. What's going to happen in that one? But like, that's one of the questions that we should have included in this segment. How many rackets will be thrown out of the arena? I hope Netflix is there. <laughs> I should have done the voice I did last week that stunned some listeners, but I couldn't do it again because I lost some vocal cords in the process of trying to do that um, sports fan voice. Dev, let's wrap up this segment with a question. Will the WTA Australian Open curse carry on? I'll give you some numbers just to back this up. 2022 winner, Ashley Barty has retired. 2021, Naomi Osaka is out by being pregnant. I don't think that's, I mean, that's, yes. Um, 2020, Sophia <laughs> yeah, Kenan. You could just Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> is in this tournament. She's ranked 227th in the world. Is she? She's in it in name only. She's in it. But is she in it? Yeah. Naomi Osaka in 2019, of course. Uh, 2018, Caroline Wozniak. Caroline Wozniak won this tournament in 2018. That's outrageous. That's well, true, though. I forgot about that. Anyway, she is retired. Serena retired in uh, 2017 winner. Kerb is out, pregnant, 2016. Serena, retired. Lina, retired. Victoria Azarenka, 2013. In the tournament, ranked 26th in the world. Playing Sophia Kennan for some serendipity there. Yeah. Indeed so, yeah. This is the equivalent of the Madden curse. I don't like the frame. Yeah, I don't, like- <laughs> I don't like the framing of this question. I feel like it's an attack on all of our all of our goodwill and love that we're trying to send out into the universe. I, I don't know. I'm like, I'm looking at who could win this tournament that would just definitively not play much longer afterwards. I think there's some contenders. I think there's some players you could see hanging it up or not playing tennis that much longer. If they were to win this title, Petra Kvitova, would she walk away uh, in a few in a few months, if she has a, an Aussie Open title in her back pocket, I could see it. I'm going to say no, though. I'm going to say no. Uh, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Looking down the list, because you basically, yeah. in order to qualify for this curse, if we're actually going to take this stupid data point to its end, you have to either be an all-time great at the end of their career, in the sense of like either Serena or Caroline Wozniacki. You have to have been a slam winner in Angelique Kerber and Victoria Azarenka and Lina, who is then going to be out a couple of years later. Or you have to be in the case of Sophia Cannon, someone who is ranked at the top of the sport now, who is currently ranked outside of the top 200. So looking at the yeah. list of the draw, who follow, who qualifies for that? 
There's like only a couple, isn't there? It's a very, very small list. I I could see Caroline Garcia winning this tournament as well and and not needing tennis much longer because she wants to do other things. But I'm going to say, no, the curse will die. It's not really a curse either. This is just life, right? This is just life that happens. And the men's side being so jacked up with the same names over and over again. And it skews things. I think this is not so uncommon. Like if we dug back a few further years, Simon, I think it would we could see maybe similar patterns maybe, but that's a conversation for another day. Before we end the segment though, let's let's hear your picks. I want to hear your finalists and then the winner on both sides. Start with the men. Oh, God damn it. Um, <laughs> all right, let's do it. Novak Djokovic is the winner. You're going to ask me to pick a okay. finalist as well, aren't you? Yeah. Who's coming out of the top half? Like, well, that's, that's the problem because the top half of the drawer is the difficult one to pick. I, I'll, I'll go first because I have top of mind, but I, and I'm on the record saying I think Steph will have a, a good tournament, which of course means he'll lose in the first round. But I'll say Novak beats Steph in the final. That's what my head says, my heart says. Novak and Felix Ajay Aliassim play a five-set insane-o match and Felix wins. But I will go Novak over Steph on the men's side. I'm going to do it, Dev. And I'm going to look like a fool. I'm Are you going, doing it? I'm doing it. Don't don't stop me. Hold me back. Like the uh, <laughs> like I'm on an NBA bench celebrating a dunk. Um I'm picking Yannick Sinner. Oh my God. The prophecy. You predicted that he would make a slam final in 2023. You're saying he's going to do it right away. Wow. Shocking that, isn't it? All right. So that's pretty safe. I mean, if you if you don't want to pick Novak, all the power to you. But I fear that we will all be wrong and he will be the winner when this is done. So that's the boring picks. A lot of good first rounders, though. An insane amount of good first round matches on both sides. Your women's winner and finalist, Simon. Iga Sviantek, Anya Sabalenka. So you got Sviantek beating Sabalenka? No. I'm going to reverse it. I have the same pick as I'm going to... Yeah, I have, this, I, I have Sabalenka over Sviantek in the final. Yep. I'm, so, I'm, wow. I'm going there as well. Wow. Wow. All right. Open era, doubling up the power of the curse. You heard it first. This is Sitsipas definitely will lose early. <laughs> Sabalenka will lose early. Sinner will lose early because that's what happens. All right. That's the draw when we come back. We close up the show with parting shots. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome back to the Open Era Podcast. Devang, parting shots time. Break point time. It is here. You have watched it. Mm-hmm. What is your star rating and what is your review? Okay. Uh, yeah. So just uh, some background. I watched all the episodes at once on Friday, Friday evening. Yeah. So I, I didn't like break it up, but kind of a, a streamlined viewing process. I will give it two and a half stars out of five. I thought that the beginning was quite slow and I was a bit worried about where they were honing in on and what they were focusing in on. And, and I kind of realized very quickly, like we had assumed beforehand that this was definitely a very surface level approach to the sport and very a, a tennis for beginners kind of vibe for the first episode. And they kind of ran through all of the things that I think are the most cliched aspects about tennis in a very Netflixy way that we've seen a ton of other shows do. So I was a bit dispirited by that. And I, I didn't think the curiocentric episode, even though I, I, I would even say that it, I didn't find it was not my taste because it was Nick mostly. I think just the way they told the story, I thought was quite formulaic and had been done a million times before. So it started off poorly for me. And I thought both Australian episode, open episodes, including the Berrettini, Tamjanovic one were meh, super meh. I don't think they're that captivating as people. Sadly, I'm not. I'm not saying that's diss anyone, but I just I thought it was a poor choice to focus in on them. And the episode dragged, and it was cringy, and you kind of get an idea of why they broke up, which I thought was maybe the biggest takeaway from that episode. So I was quite low watching this at that point, and not sure I was going to continue. But I did the third episode, and I thought from there it got better. Simon, I thought because they were also telling the stories of people who I think have more stories to tell as opposed to the beginning of the episodes in the show. I thought Ons was great. I thought even Taylor Fritz had some interesting moments. They went behind the scenes when he needed that injection in the Indian Wells final push, if you remember that, against Rafa and, and the injury stuff. I thought that was fascinating. And even even hearing Fritz's coach, Paul Anacone, who, who dealt with other people, and like you could kind of get the vibe of like, okay, this is what coaches do at this level. Or like, this is how much they are impactful. Because they also zeroed in on Tony Nadal and Felix, and you got to see that whole vibe and that weirdness at the French Open. If you remember Tony saying he hoped Rafa would beat Felix, who was his current um, partner, it was super awkward then, but you got a a behind the scenes glimpse of how awkward it was really at the time. So it got better and they went on Zachary. I thought that Zachary segment would maybe the best of the whole series. Andre Bohr was also excellent. Casper Ruud, not so much. Casper Ruud and his dad came across quite poorly, in my opinion, which I thought was also a bit of a revelation. So all in all, this long-winded answer, I'll say it is worth watching, I think, if you're a tennis fan. It's definitely not for us. Definitely, definitely not. They could have done a better job. I do think that this was... I was worried when they marketed it as like the tennis equivalent of Drive to Survive. We Our expectations are going to be a bit out of whack 
And I don't think they delivered on what we were hoping this would be as a vehicle to get more people locked into the sport. I hope to be wrong, though, is what I'm saying. I think you saw that in the wider reviews of this as well, which was a stunning reaction of midness, if you want to call it that, from the wider super press mid. as well. It was super mid. very underwhelming, extremely underwhelming, actually. It didn't see much positive press for it, and it arrived with very real little fanfare. I haven't watched it yet. I will watch it during the course of this week especially in the late in in between the Australian Open but I will I will say it's Simon in, in defense or not de- maybe not defense but I read a bunch of reviews before I watched it and I I was worried that that was the the wrong move to make because it maybe would have clouded my judgment heading into it but I came in with an open mind and I really thought the first episodes were poor quite poor mm-hmm. so I was a bit surprised to see it kind of pick up from there and I think recovering from that midness was a tough task but they kind of were able to do it, but there was an avalanche, an absolute avalanche of canned cliches. And I know they used some audio from other podcasts and they had other journalists or people around the sport involved, but it was weird to me that like Maria Sharapova was given this sort of like mm-hmm. wise, like, sa- like sage look where like she's like guiding us through the journey of being a legend. I'm like, really? Like her? Okay. Like, I guess. Sure. It just, everything felt like it could have been 15% better. Everything about it felt like it could have been, if they if they had put in about 15% more, we could have been somewhere better. Because I think you'll see when this golf show comes out in a, in a few weeks, it's going to blow this out of the water. I don't think it'll be close. Yeah. No, I think I, I agree with all of that. It's, it's a... Um, thanks to Netflix for the screener copy, by the way. I appreciate that. Um <laughs> And you know, thanks for including us as well as a podcast. In that we could have, we could have, uh, we're happy to to lend our voices. At first, I thought that they had got people to record those lines as like a script, <laughs> because some of it, some of it was fitting just hilariously so into the narrative that I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> but then I recognized the voices. I'm like, "Oh, okay, no, they're pulling some audio," and I, I appreciated that. Like, I think. I, I do like that first person account of like you getting the commentary at the time and what people are talking about. I like that. I didn't mind that at all, but it did feel at times quite cheesy in terms of like trying to really guide us, hold our hand into these narratives, which really did not get provide, put much faith in the viewer. I thought, which is always the fear when it comes to these sports docs or when you watch these kind of things, Simon, because it's like this level where I think that you have to put some respect towards your viewer as well, even if they aren't maybe a tennis savant. They, they explained the score several times. <laughs> they explained. <laughs> I'm like, all right, guys. There's more to this shit. There's more to this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the Drive to Survive case, car that goes over the line first is not exactly <laughs> difficult to wrap your head around. I think that's the level that we... I mean, also, who cares? Like, in like, this audience, True. it doesn't matter. Um, these things live and die by their personalities and who you're focusing on. That's my perspective on it. And I think just across the board, uh, certainly the top end of the game, they have not marketed the personalities of these individuals particularly well. And also, I think the people they have chosen outside of maybe Jabur, I just don't really give a shit about them. That's, I mean, that's honestly the, the problem that I have going into this. And there are some people that I think are interesting. And I, I'm, I'm curious to see it when I, when, I get out, when I get around to watching it. I think maybe just the closing point on this one is I think Taylor Fritz might be one of the most important people in the sport at the moment. Because he's incredibly marketable. He gets it. His girlfriend clearly gets it as well. 
He understands the medium that he's in, and he's also a really, really good player as well. And he's American, which doesn't hurt. And he's a really good-looking dude, which doesn't hurt either. So mm-hmm. if I was trying to wrap my American flag around it, I'd probably choose him as the person that I was probably leaning into the most when it comes to this stuff. And they they were fortunate that they had him at Indeed Wells too, because mm-hmm. I think that 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 story was it was told well, and they did a good job regarding that. I I will say I think. Maria Zachary Bush, you'll you'll come out you'll come out of that having a, an interesting outlook on her and for the positive. I found myself already in her corner before this, but man, I really want to see her do well because I thought that was um, an interesting look into her psyche and what she's dealing with in terms of getting over the line. And I also will say Felix in general and Felix's family as well. It makes sense how he turned it. The reason he turned out the way he did and why he's the man he is today, it makes sense if you if you go to his family and see the type of people they are, because they're phenomenal as well. So I thought out of the general muck that was the first five episodes, some bright spots, but far too few of them, in my opinion. Shall we look into the psyche of one Gerard Piquet as we transition Woo-hoo! here? Let's do it. If you were not aware, the Cosmos group are out. They're done with the ITF. Whoever ended the relationship, come on, I, I can stretch this metaphor as long as I can. Uh, <laughs> the, they're out of the Davis Cup after five years. The deal was not renewed, fairly unsurprisingly. It seems like, from all accounts, this was a loss-making enterprise for Cosmos the entire time they were in this. This is an absolute disaster. Just a complete disaster. <laughs> Coming off the back, absolute shit show all around. Completed at the end of the week by Gerard Piquet well and truly being stuffed into a locker by his former partner and wife. (laughs) How do we recover from this, Dev? I just want to remind people, in 2018, Cosmos Tennis and the ITF signed a 25-year partnership. (laughs) 2-5. 25. They let this guy and his crew destroy the Davis Cup. Absolutely tank it. No association with tennis. Zero... (laughs) Just a bunch of random douchebags <laughs> who came into the sport. They let these guys come in, blow up the tournament, blow up one of the most successful things, most famous things, most historic things we had in this sport. Let them blow it up, put in place a new plan, which everyone just played in Spain a bunch, basically, with the new Davis Cup. And now, five years later, they're piecing out. Disaster. The ITF statement confirming this was sad. It's meek. They said they're going to operate the 2023 qualifiers and finals as scheduled in Malaga, Spain, because they have to, because that was the whole deal, basically. What a joke. What an absolute joke. Just enough time to really torpedo the ship before bailing. Just another str- another instance in a long string of these kind of these things, Simon, where the powers that be, the leadership in tennis, went with the wrong people, trusted the wrong people bought into the hype, bought into whatever this was. It was probably a glitzy marketing presentation with some decks from a venture venture capitalist firm saying, hey, we can make money somehow off this thing that hasn't made money in years and present this plan that clearly wasn't working for anyone. And here we are. Will this bring the Davis Cup back to what it used to be? Probably not. I don't think that's the end of the world. Like I said, the United Cup was cool. More gendered team events, more men and women competing with each other, I think would be good. But it's sad to me that they let this happen to the Davis Cup. Yeah, concur entirely. 
I almost see the ITF at this stage as like an old grandfather, like 90 years old. <laughs> I mean, they don't know what's going on. Like they don't, they're old, they're tired. Like someone came along with a big flashy, you know, deck and they said, this is what we can do. Look at all the money you can make. We get it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, go for that. That sounds great. That sounds great. But I mean, they don't understand. Just put them out of their misery. $3 billion was the pledged investment over 25 years. $3 billion. Uh, let's move on. Yeah, because I I just cannot. Dev, it happened. You were calling for the head of Muddy Fish a few weeks ago following the uh, the sheer comedy, which happened at the back end of the previous Davis Cup tournament, which was won by the greatest tennis nation in the world, Canada. And... Marty Fisher's head has been has been taken. He is no longer the U.S. Open, the U.S. Davis Cup captain. Are you excited to hear this? I mean, justice for Rajiv Ram. I'll say that. I'll say the disaster that befell the U.S.T. was eighty percent Marty Fisher's doing. So yeah, I, I mean, I believe him and Bob Ryan. Yeah, I think it was Bob Ryan. Were fined for uh, promoting a gambling operator on social media as well because you can't do that. It's against ITF rules, speaking of the ITF. Yeah, just a, a time of disaster for U.S. tennis at that tournament. Politics, etc., infighting, Twitter snipes. But I think it's interesting the team that they selected for this next tie against Uzbekistan includes a very different list of players, but that does include Rajiv Ram and Tommy Paul and Jensen Brooksby, Mackenzie McDonald, Austin Krychek, the other guys. Viva the U.S. Davis Cup team without Marty Fish, but who knows what the hell they'll be competing for. I guess this Cosmos version of the Davis Cup will remain for one more year. But yeah, I uh, I had a, a really fond outlook at, at Fish after his Netflix documentary as well about his personal struggles. I thought it was a, a brave and courageous take and, and compelling viewing. But um, he's been veering into that territory on Twitter where I'm like, is this guy an Elon Musk? Uh, disciple does he have views that I really don't agree with and I think the answer is yes so you hate to see it did you read the quote I didn't see it no what was the quote mutually agreed to move in in new directions it was time for me to focus more on my business ventures at my firm disruptive my family and my (laughs) passions in life for MMA and golf I simply do not have the time to commit (laughs) is the firm called disruptive that's what it's called it is called disruptive. Good God. Anyways, we'd still love to have Marty on the show because I, I want to talk about his story, but <laughs> we'll leave all this stuff out. It had to be called disruptive. Is this an episode of Billions? Is this an episode of Billions? It might be. Totally fine. Let's go rapid fire here just to end the show. Igor Świątek was named Polish Athlete of the Year to go alongside the uh, Players' Tribune article that we touched on earlier. Very worthy recipient of that. And just some fun things to end this week, which were circulating around. Roger Federer was seen this week playing paddleball in Dubai. <laughs> not, not pickleball, correct? Not pickleball. Not he was pickleball. not playing pickleball. No. I had a heart attack seeing that. <laughs> like if he, if Roger got suckered in by Big Pickle, which is clearly going to happen if it, if it hasn't happened already. But I could see him being approached in a, in a dark parking lot with a briefcase full of money. Do you know what my thought was seeing this? Yeah. If you're if you're well enough to move around on that fucking paddleball court, <laughs> pick up a racket, get out there in Melbourne. Come on, get him Come on the on. plane. 
It's not yeah. that far. I saw it? I saw a lot of unhinged Roger fans. You're like, he's coming back. Or like, he's he's ready. Guys, please have some self-respect. Can I say something uh, very un- unlike me? Yes. I think Paddleball looks kind of fun. It does. It does look fun. Would I like to play Paddleball with Severin Luthi? Yeah. Simon, I would. I would love to do that. It looks significantly more fun than Pickleball. <laughs> significantly it more. It's the cool European version, right? And as we know, that's normally how it goes. It's true. It's true. The Australian Open put out a graphic this week, which was a predictions of the 100 meter race among the top ATP players, which was run by Carlos Alcaraz. I saw some of the comments on Instagram saying that this was one of the most pointless things they've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) That made no sense at all. (laughs) One of. So second is Novak, third, Gael Monfils, Diemenauer, fourth, Rune, fifth, Grigor Dimitrov, sixth. Nadal, 7th, Medvedev, 8th. Yeah. Thanks, I guess. Did, did we talk about Carlos not being at the Australian Open last week? My memory is terrible. But did this happen this we week? Did. I'm curious. We did. Okay. I'm going to miss him a lot here at this tournament, Bush. Because I, I did feel like the the Novak supremacy is obviously the storyline and his hamstring, etc. But outside of Rafa, you had your eyes on Carlos to see what he would do because he's one of those guys as well where you think he could produce the impossible. Especially over five sets as well. It's one of those things that watching this tournament, if he'd been in it, he would have been one of the only players that I would have circled on the draw and gone like, it doesn't matter if he's two sets down, he's probably going to win that match. There's just not many players in the draw that I feel that way about. So I'm sad that he's not there. And in general, it's just sad to miss the world number one at the first Grand Slam of the year. You kind of want them there. You want your best players being there. All right. I think that's, I will say my last tennis related thought is that if the tennis gods would like to do this, Igish Fiontek, Bianca Andreescu third round. Let's do that. Thanks guys. Make sure the camera is pointing at it or break point season 2023. If that is renewed, I'll be stunned based on what those first five episodes were, but I've been wrong before. Super mid programs unfortunately do get renewed quite a lot. So yeah. uh, there's quite a lot of history to suggest that will be the case. Anyway, let's go to two challenges remaining. Dev, do you have anything that you wanted to shout out? Uh, yeah, I will. Uh, I'll shout out proper footwear. Um, okay. I got a, a new pair. Of, I got a new pair of boots actually a week ago and I've been wearing them around and just a game changer. Just a real game changer. I don't think I, I, the last pair of boots I had bought was several years ago and they had still been in commission and, and working relatively well. But the introduction of some stable footwear in the in the middle of a pretty cold, icy winter has been quite quite a big boost. So shouts to footwear. I won't name the brand for not, uh, in the sake of not giving them free marketing. But yeah, treat your feet well, folks. Did you go fashionable or functional? Which way did you go? Well, I I would like I would humbly like to submit that I did both. I managed to do both at the same time, son. You straddled that line. <laughs> yeah, I did. I'll show you. I'll show you a picture offline uh, and in the Discord as well. Join us on the Discord to see photos of my boots. That's how we get people to join our Patreon. It's like all of those uh, benefits that are listed in the tiers. Patreon <laughs> <Yeah>. boot picks, <laughs> regular. <Boot> picks. <laughs> Regular photos of my footwear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Monthly boot picks, promised. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's my challenge. Sorry, what about you? Uh, we'll shout out a book, The End of Policing, 
written by Alex S. Vital. I thought it was a really good read with some really interesting ways of helping to demilitarize our police forces across the board and also just help public safety across across all of our different municipalities, both everywhere, not just in the United States and Canada, but around the world, is that there are very obvious things that needed to, that need to be done which are not militarizing our police and, and pumping more money into police budgets. And I think a lot of people got alienated from the defund the police slogan. I think a lot of people didn't as well, but I think there was a, a very reactionary group of people that did. And I think this is a nice antidote to to those concerns and just saying that there are very legitimate ways of going about making sure that we don't need massive amounts of cops harassing people every single day and brandishing weapons around the, the different communities uh, in a way that we can actually make our cities and our communities safer across the board. And there are very obvious ways to do that. So I really do recommend it as a book. I thought it was excellent. Well said. And yes, bang on. 100% bang on. Yeah, we'll leave it there. A reminder, we are on patreon.com forward slash open era. Join us there. Get the show ad free. Get it early. Today, you'll get this on Saturday as you record, especially ahead of the Australian Open, which begins on Sunday over in this type part of the world. So join us on Discord. We're chatting tennis all the time, along with other stuff. Really been enjoying the breakpoint conversation. Um, everyone putting in their takes. Some takes that are too spicy for Twitter, even. I'd say, but no, it's a great conversation, great people in there. So you join us there, you help us make the show, help us keep doing what we're doing. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash open era. We're on twitter.com forward slash open era pod. We'll be tweeting throughout the Australian Open and a rating or a review wherever you get this pod would also be wonderful for us as we hope to reach more people during this tournament. I think that's it for producer Greg on the ones and twos and for Simon. Thank you so much for listening to open era. We'll talk to you next week. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time <gasps> no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.